following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. In this current uh, teaching series, which is leading up to the end of the liturgical year and into the season of Advent, uh, we are revisiting our fundraising campaign from last fall. It's called Growing in Faith Together, and we're doing a little 2.0 version of it uh, this week and last week and the next couple of weeks. Just as a quick reminder, or maybe the first time for people who are newer here, the purpose of this campaign is to raise money to expand and improve our building, uh, particularly to make our children's ministry space bigger and a lot better, uh, and also to make the whole building more accessible and more inclusive. And by my calculations, we are just about six months away from breaking ground on that project. Um, maybe a little bit less. We had some conversations this week that led us to believe we might be able to start some things inside before the ground thaws. But at any rate, in the spring is when we're going to get going with that. It's very exciting, and it is happening. Um, we raised enough money last fall uh, to ensure that we can do the project responsibly. And actually, as you go out today, you can take a look on, on your left as you walk out down the hallway. There's a little visual representation, very artisan way of doing it. It's not a big red thermometer that's going up. It's, a, it's a organic and floral. Um, so take a look at that, and you'll see kind of where we're at with things, and that might be of interest to you. But what we're doing right now, the reason we're bringing this up again, is because we would love to push the fundraising effort over the top uh, and to be able not just to complete the project, as I said, we already know we're going to be able to do that, but to complete the project without taking on any additional long-term debt. Uh, because every dollar of long-term debt that we carry as a church, is this, just the same way as in your household, um, is a dollar that we can't spend on doing other things that are important to us, on doing um, ministry that's more kind of active and on the ground. Uh, so my hope in revisiting this campaign for a few weeks this fall is that many of you who were not part of Artisan when we did it last year, or maybe who were but weren't in a position to do anything, uh, and to contribute to the campaign uh, in a significant way, but maybe you are now, my hope is that the, that, that group of people will be uh, inspired to join in and become part of this. And actually, I will not shy away from saying that there may be people who are already participating in the campaign who have maybe got a big raise this year or a bonus or whatever it might be, and uh, you might be able to even go the next level up uh, in your giving. So that's why we're revisiting it now. Um, and uh, as I said, this is the second week of, this, uh, of, the, of this, this little series. Last week we talked about growing, specifically how our kids are growing up and how we need to prepare them and ourselves for the day when they kind of take the reins at Artisan, when they become the adults at Artisan, um, when they become the shepherds, that the, uh, the Israelite young people became for that community on their way to the promised land. And that was last week. Um, let me say something else again that I said last week, because it's important for me to say this, and I will say some version of this every time we do this fundraising thing. I want you to know it's, it's, it's incredibly important for me, pastorally, that we don't take our focus off the purpose for gathering together on a Sunday just because we're in a season of fundraising. Um, our purpose when we're here on Sundays is to worship God together, to express our mission, to encounter God, embrace people, and engage culture in the way of Jesus. And I, uh, I believe in this project wholeheartedly. Believe me, my friends, I would not be doing this if I didn't believe in it. You couldn't pay me enough to do more fundraising if I didn't believe in it. Uh, but I do, and I do hope that you will all be involved. 
But what I've always said about fundraising is just as true now as it was every other time I said it, which is that if it causes us to take our focus off the central purpose of being together, then we have bigger problems, problems that can't be solved by expanding a building and making it bigger. Uh, in fact, those problems would probably be worse if we made it bigger. Um, so it is my sincere hope that throughout this series, for everybody, even if you have no capacity or no intention to contribute financially or in any way to this Growing in Faith Together campaign, that you will still find your experience of being in worship here to be meaningful and enriching. And I really do want feedback on that. I welcome it. If, if I'm missing the target on what I just said, I really want to know about it. Um, don't hesitate to, to tell me because that would be, again, a sign of something that needs to be addressed. So, all right. Again, last week was talking about growing. This week's topic is welcoming. How can we make our whole building reflect a posture and an inward reality of accessibility and inclusion that we feel in our hearts? Because I've got to be honest with you, feeling something in your hearts, having good intentions, and uh, wishing people well doesn't do them any good if you don't address problems that exist. Right? Um, to use an example that's not a perfect analogy, but maybe will help drive this idea home, it wasn't enough to say to African American people uh, in the 60s, all are welcome. Right? There, were, there were places in America that had two drinking fountains. One for one group of people and one for the other group of people. And they had to rip one of those drinking fountains out of their physical structures in order to indicate by that space the reality that was now, um, if not in their hearts, at least was, was the uh, legal reality of the land. Okay. And similarly, we could, we could want to welcome uh, people with disabilities and people who are LGBTQ all day long. And uh, it wouldn't mean quite enough just to, to wish people well. We have to make the space um, a part of that. Um, so, here's what I want to do in our brief time together today. I want to give you three statements made during the formation of the early Christian church. These are scriptural statements. And each one of them has something to do with uh, the major dispute that the church was finding themselves in in that day, which was how do we include Gentiles into the Christian faith, given that the Christian faith was born out of Judaism? Uh, not to put too fine a point on it, but how, do we, uh, how much are we going to require a Gentile to become a Jew before we let them become a Christian? Right? It's not our particular problem today, but the idea of the widening of the doorways into God's kingdom, I think, applies very strongly to the things that we're thinking about today. Now, here's the thing. Each one of these sentences, each one of these statements made during the formation of the early Christian church deserves its own sermon. It might deserve its own sermon series, as a matter of fact. And I have actually preached those sermons and those series. So if one of these three really lights you up, come and talk to me afterwards, and I'll send you to a particular date where you can listen to the podcast or you can read my sermon notes, whatever it be. But I have to be quick to get through this because I want you to hear all three of them. And so what I did, I didn't even put like spaces between the slides. It's just bang, 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 three statements, and we've got to get through them quickly. So that's the way we'll make it work. Um, but here's what happens. I believe that uh, these statements and, the, and what happened in the early church is evidence of a comprehensive movement toward broader inclusion of all people into God's kingdom. Uh, people who had previously been left out were now being welcomed in, and that uh, set the church on a trajectory, which I believe we are still on today. 
um, uh, this trajectory that was set on by the, the work of the Holy Spirit. We're still traveling on that line today. It's, it's kind of like the um, checks notes, uh, Voyager spacecrafts. I'm not, a sci- I'm not a space nerd, but I am told that there are spacecrafts that NASA launched 40 years ago that are still on that trajectory. They have achieved escape velocity, uh, which is a thing um, that has to do with gravity, and now they're out in space, and they're still beaming their information back to us for the time being. We don't know how long that will be, and after they stop beaming it back to us, here's the really fascinating thing. They're just going to keep on going, <laughs> right? And so we have this trajectory that we are on, and the problem is that the the gravitational pull of exclusion is stronger uh, relative to the movement of inclusion (laughs) than the gravitational pull of the Earth is relative to the um, Voyager spacecraft. Does that make sense? So we're combating this this human nature pull to exclude people, to set up boundaries, to keep those people out so that we know we're in. We have to fight that constantly. So we need to recognize consciously that we're on this trajectory that was set during the early church. Okay. Here's the three sentences. I'm going to give you the first one. This one was spoken by a eunuch, an Ethiopian eunuch. The eunuch said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? This is an interesting occasion, one of my favorite stories in Scripture, and I'm going to have a real hard time not preaching the whole sermon right now. But here's what happened. Uh, Philip, one of the leaders of the early church, was, was traveling on a road, and the spirit nudged Philip and said, go over to that chariot right there. And in the chariot was an Ethiopian eunuch who had traveled to Jerusalem to worship. But what I'm not sure he knew was that because he was a eunuch, um, he was not going to be allowed to worship in the temple. That was against the, the Mosaic law. And so he's in this chariot, and he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip says, do you know what you're reading there? Do you understand it? And the eunuch says, how could I understand if no one's here to teach me? And so Philip says, I guess that's why the Spirit sent me here. And he proclaims the gospel of Jesus to this, um, to this person. And then they, they, they pass by some water, and the eunuch says, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> There's some water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? And Philip, I like to imagine Philip going, I wasn't quite ready for that just yet. I was proclaiming the gospel to you. Usually this thing takes some time. But in the end, he says, "Um, nothing. And they go down in the water, and Philip baptizes this man. And then the spirit whisks him away. It's very, very spooky. (laughs) I love this story so much. It's so often the, uh, the person who is part of the kind of marginalized um, community, who says to somebody who's not, who's kind of already in, hey, um, what's to keep me from coming into that space with you? <laughs> and if we're sensitive to the Spirit, we, we, we consider that question and go, well, nothing. Come on in. The water is fine. That's the first statement from the early church. What is to prevent me from being baptized? Here's the second one. Uh, this is by Peter. Now, Peter has... Um, <clears throat> well, let's read the sentence. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, that Jesus is Lord of all. Peter um, was kind of like moved into this interaction with a Roman soldier, Roman centurion, right? uh, who was also nudged by the Holy Spirit, and they, they kind of had this, this meeting of the minds that was, was never going to happen. In, in normal everyday life, because Jews were not supposed to go into the houses of Gentiles. And you couldn't get more Gentile than a Roman centurion. When the Romans are oppressing the Jews, 
and a Roman soldier invites a Jewish leader into his home when they start to have conversations with each other. And when Peter uh, has a dream, as it happened, where the, the Lord says to him, hey, don't call anything unclean that I have made clean. Peter goes back to his friends and says, I was mistaken before, but now I know that God shows no partiality. And it doesn't matter if a person is a Roman or a Gentile or a soldier or an agent of the empire that has our whole people group under its thumb. When he declares Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. God shows no partiality. That's the second sentence. And, and uh, because of encounters like this between Philip and the eunuch and between uh, Peter and Cornelius, the church was kind of launched and broiled into this controversy. What are we supposed to do when the Holy Spirit seems to be working in the lives of these Gentiles and converting them to the way of Jesus? Don't we have to make them Jews first? Don't they have to follow all the laws? Don't they have to undergo all the rituals? And it came to a head in Acts 15 when the, the, the church convened a council and they, they had a dispute. They heard from both sides. They heard the reports of Peter. They heard all the things that, the, that God seemed to be doing. And James, the, the brother of Jesus and the leader of the church in Jerusalem, eventually, after all this dispute and debate, pronounced his decision and the church's decision We should not make it difficult for those Gentiles who are turning to God. We'll ask them to obey these particular rules, which, by the way, appear to be all about uh, pagan idolatry and and temple worship. But other than that, our job is to get out of the way. (laughs) And it was about Gentile inclusion at the time. But we we don't really have that problem now because almost all Christians are Gentiles at this point. We have our own new list of people who we get in the way of when they're turning to God. How long would it take you to make a list of five groups of people that the church has gotten in the way of their attempts to turn to God? Would it take you longer than a minute? Uh, It would not take me longer than a minute. I can make that list very quickly. In fact, uh, there's almost nothing I'm more passionate about in my pastoral ministry than getting out of the way (laughs) and helping my church, our church, get out of the way. We should not make it difficult for anyone, for any human being made in God's image, to turn to God. I said a few minutes ago that these three statements from the early church establish a clear clear trajectory, that the early church was set on by the work of the Holy Spirit, and that we're still traveling that trajectory today, much like those Voyager spacecrafts. But that unlike them, we have this this gravitational pull of exclusion to deal with, to contend with, day in and day out, week in and week in, year in and year out. And that that pull, unfortunately, is very strong. So I think it's crucial that we do everything we can in our power to escape the pull, the gravitational pull of exclusion. And that we make our physical space as accessible and inclusive to all people as we possibly can. You know, earlier I mentioned segregated water fountains, and, and I certainly don't mean to suggest that the issues we're facing today are exactly like that. Um, I certainly don't mean to suggest that all marginalized people are marginalized in the same way or experience it to the same degree. But I wanted to make that, that analogy, that connection, because I think it is true that our space, 
Our physical structure affects people. And I think it's probably more true than most of you know. It certainly was more true than I was aware of. I thought we were great. Um, and then some people said, not, not so great, and here are the ways. And we've been on this path to try to fix that ever since. So I want to show you a video. Um, and Ryan, you can go ahead and get that ready while I, while I introduce it. This is a video that we made last year um, for this kind of aspect of our campaign. And it really helps to... Um, I think it helped me to understand some things that I would like you also to understand. So go ahead, sorry. I think one of the biggest things that I've learned um, over my time at Artisan is that God's word isn't good news for anybody if it's not good news for everybody. We've been working on racial reconciliation. We've been working to be more inclusive of people with disabilities and uh, people who are LGBTQ. I'm sure that we'll discover there are many other ways that we need to uh, open our doors wider, but uh, really God's people encompasses everyone. God wants to reach the whole world, and we're just looking for people who look like us or act like us or talk like us, then, then we're putting a limit on who God wants to reach. So I've seen a lot of big changes and little changes. One of my favorites is the ramp. When I first started at Artisan, there was this big push for aesthetics and beauty. And I was worried that a ramp would be viewed as unbeautiful. And I was really excited when we were able to make a ramp that is so beautiful and aesthetically pleasing. And it fits both within the ideology of Artisan, but also with the accessibility of ideology of accessibility and everybody being welcome here. The cloth on the table was there for aesthetic purposes, um, but it's something that wheelchair users get their wheels stuck in a lot, and so every time I would go to take communion, I would wonder if I'm about to burn the place down. I think this table is absolutely gorgeous, and we found a way to, again, keep it beautiful and accessible for everybody. When I think about Artisan's mission to encounter God, embrace people, and engage culture in the way of Jesus, and when you look at Jesus' ministry and how he really reached out to those who had been marginalized in society, it's clear that we are called to do the same thing. And we need to be looking for the people who have been left behind and bringing them in and giving them a space at the table alongside everybody else. I don't think people recognize how hard it is to navigate backing up into one door while trying to open another door and creating enough space between the two. Um, so it would be really great to have doors that have automatic openers. I don't think that I would be the only one utilizing them. People with disabilities would love them, but so would children. Kids love buttons. Um, and I think parents who have strollers or their hands full, or honestly anyone who's bringing anything for their potluck, is really going to appreciate some automatic doors, accessibilities for everyone. I think we need to do everything in our power to make sure that people are feeling comfortable and welcome and able to connect with God in the best way they can. So I hope that that video kind of gives you a sense of some of the realities in our physical space that um, we can do uh, a job, uh, we can do some work to, to address and improve. Um, now, you may have noticed when you came into the building today that we have some green tape laid out <laughs> in places, on the walls, on the floors. And if you've been outside, you may have seen the orange spray paint that we sprayed all over the lawn and some of the sidewalks. 
Um, we're going to have some more fun with those spaces in uh, two weeks uh, for week four of this. Um, but they're kind of designed to show you uh, where the new walls will be and where the new doors will be and how things are going to change in this space. And I wanted to give you just a little bit of a preview of what's happening with this design because it, it, it I think, will make some of what we just saw in the video click with the idea of the design. Um, and you can look at these. The, the designs are on the wall as well. You can take a look at them up close um, after service today if you'd like. But here's what I want to do. I want to show you... The layout of the building as it currently stands. This first image is what the, the building looks like right now. Sort of a U-shape where the right side is taller than the left side. And we're in the sanctuary, obviously. The kids are down in these little rooms down here. And I keep your eyes on these rooms um, as we go to the, the new plan and see what happens. Uh, you see how we've extended that. They, the, the rooms are not only greater in number, but they're bigger in size. And then we've filled in the courtroom uh, in the middle there, or the courtyard, excuse me. Uh, there's hopefully no courtroom in here. but <laughs> And then down here you see there's a new entrance and lobby. I want to take a little quick zoom in on that. So the next image is the entrance and lobby. You can see that you're going to come a little bit farther away uh, uh, from out there. And the entrance is going to be just opposite me, right outside there. And you can't see the buttons, but they're, they're there. <laughs> Those doors are going to open automatically with a button, just like when you go to the library or uh, any other place that has accessible front uh, entry doors. We're going to have that. It's going to be awesome. And, um, boy, talk about, like, checking your privilege. I, I, when Stephanie says things like, other people will benefit from this too, I'm like, oh, yeah. I carry musical equipment into this building a lot. I would love to have a button. Why didn't we have a button for me? <laughs> you know, and then suddenly you realize, oh, uh, I care about it only when it affects me. That's not a good look, is it? Um, so I'm very excited about those doors, not only because they will help me, but they're, they're going to make it possible for people who've had that challenge getting into our building every time they've ever come here, uh, whether they're carrying anything with them or not. So that's exciting. And then the last one I want to show you is the, uh, the restrooms. You know the restrooms were down in the bottom left. They're way down there. You've probably used them. They are in disrepair. We are just trying to hold on until spring when we can put new ones in. Uh, but here is what's happening with restrooms. Right now, there's two gendered bathrooms, a women's room with three stalls and a men's room with two stalls and urinals. So six, six total fixtures in the bathrooms. What we're doing is going to six single fixture restrooms. The same number of fixtures. Actually, there's one extra one because there's a, a little one that's uh, there for, for the little ones um, that's facing into the children's wing. There's actually a seventh bathroom there. But each one of these six restrooms will have full facilities. Um, toilet, sink, uh, everything that you could want, and they're, they're big enough that you can move around uh, uh, if you're using a wheelchair. There uh, is no gender designation on any of them, so it doesn't matter what your gender identity is. There's no, um, there's no reason why you would feel odd or strange or anyone would look at you differently going into any one of these uh, restrooms. Uh, and then, uh, and as an added bonus, the one in the top left there has a shower. That, that rectangle with the X is in it. We hope that with our new... Um, uh, children's ministry space will actually be able to become a host church, a host congregation for rain. Right now we go to New Hope and support them in that ministry, which is wonderful. We'll talk about that at the announcements, by the way. Uh, but with this much space, we could become a host congregation. And having that shower there is going to be a huge, it's going to be a huge blessing to the guests at rain. Um, and it'll, it'll get used for who knows how many other purposes as well. So... That's just a little bit of an overview. I didn't even go into much detail with the kids' stuff, um, but that's out there on the, uh, on the walls as well. And again, we'll be able to interact with the physical space in a 3D kind of way in a couple of weeks. Um, <clears throat> but I hope that you find that inspiring, because now I need to ask you to do something. 
I, I really want to ask you to participate in this campaign if you aren't already. And I do want to ask some of you who already are, who maybe are in a, 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 a better place now and can do more, to consider doing more, because I really would love to get us over to that 100% mark on the, on the uh, end of the campaign number so that we don't carry any more long-term debt. Um, but uh, even if you can only give a little bit, I, I think the the beauty of having a breadth of participation at all levels, some people giving a great deal, some people only giving a few dollars a month. Um, we're all in this together, and it's kind of, it makes this beautiful picture of us working together, kind of getting around something heavy and lifting it. And some people have uh, the capacity to bear more weight than others, uh, but everybody is involved in the, in the task. And I'm really excited for the idea that uh, some of you might be ready to do this now when you weren't last year or you didn't even know we were a church last year. Um, and I want to say a, a special word to those of you who have come to Artisan in the last 12 months, particularly because of our postures of accessibility and LGBTQ inclusion. If you have come to this church for that reason, I think um, this is an opportunity for you to support uh, the ministry that is very important to you in a simple and tangible way. Um, you might be someone who... Um, was not comfortable at a church anywhere else because of their uh, policies on, on these matters. But uh, you've seen and found a home here. And I'm going to ask you, to the extent that it's possible for you to do so, to kind of put your money where your commitments are uh, on those things. Um, because the truth is, they cost money uh, to do. <laughs> you know, it obviously costs money to make nice, fancy bathrooms. We're, we're excited about that. But the truth is, it, it's quite likely that it costs us a little bit of money just in lost offerings when we publish that inclusion statement. Now listen, we would do that a hundred times out of a hundred again. The, it's, the money is not the reason. Um, that's not the thing. Uh, but it, it is a, an opportunity for you who are passionate about that matter to um, replace whatever might have been lost because of that. And so I encourage you to, to consider that very seriously and prayerfully um, whether, whether or not it might be a chance for you to to contribute to something that matters to you. So, um, <clears throat> many of you, one little thought experiment as we finish here. We're about to take communion together, and um, I, I like to think of communion as the banquet table of Jesus. It's like a fancy dinner party where grace is on the menu and everybody's invited. And I want you to imagine that you've received an invitation to a fancy dinner party, and that you've, you've arrived there. <laughs> That you can hear the, 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 the noisy din inside the apartment. You can see the disco ball in the window. <laughs> whatever, might, whatever fun might be happening there. And then you get there, but the door's locked and you can't get into the building. I want you to imagine how, that, that feeling. Or maybe you've been invited and you've, you've brought your bottle of wine and you show up at the party and the table is set with four places and you're the fifth person into the room. And all four of the people enjoying this dinner and getting ready to, to, to enjoy each other's company, they say, all are welcome. We're so glad you're here. But there's literally nowhere for you to sit. And nobody's moving or making any effort to make room for you. And you're, you're realizing that the words, all are welcome, are kind of hollow if the space doesn't say it itself. And now I want you to know that that's what church is like for, for, for some people, for a lot of people. They, they drive by and they see the all are welcome sign and they don't even bother to come in the driveway because they're like, I've been there before, not there, 
But the last five churches I visited said that too. And when I got there, it turns out I wasn't. That's the experience that uh, people have with church. You know, we always love to talk about the church as the people, not the building, right? In fact, you'll never hear me say, I'm at church when I'm in this building. I'll say, I'm at the artisan building or I'm at the church building. It's important for me, pastorally, to make a distinction between a physical space and the body of Christ, which is the people. So I don't say the church when I'm talking about this place, because you are the church, I am the church, we together are the church. That doesn't change the fact that we're in a building, and that building might have some barriers and obstacles that we can address. We should not make it difficult for anyone who's turning to God. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this beautiful picture of the work that your Holy Spirit did in the early church, inviting people into the way of Jesus. Thank you for that trajectory that challenges us to this day to open the doors ever wider to remove ourselves from being barriers to entry into the kingdom of God. Forgive us for the times when we have made it difficult for people who are turning to you. Forgive us for the times when unintentionally, just by virtue of the, the space we're in, we've made it difficult for people who are turning to you. And I pray that you would show us, if, if it's your will for us to be involved in this project, that that's the case and how we should proceed and help us to trust you to provide when we make that type of sacrifice. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. While our table is open, I invite you to come and receive the body and blood of the Savior. May it be the real presence of Jesus in your life today. May it be an act of unity with your your siblings in Christ here and with the church around the city and around the world and throughout time. And may it be food for your hungry spiritual souls. There'll be a member of the prayer team at the back of the room who'll be happy to pray with you during this time as well. But our table's open. Let's continue to worship God there and in song and in prayer. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.